reading is found in Mark chapter 5 on page 710. They went across to the lake. They went across the lake to the region of the Gazarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When, Je when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Large, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us m among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number, and they rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran away and reported this to the t in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shirley. Well, what a strange reading. What are we going to do with that one this morning? Father God, I would ask this morning that you would speak to us from those words, that we would understand the relevance for us today, be able to apply them to our lives, and indeed, Father, again, captives would be set free for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning's Bible text sits in the middle of several hopeless situations. Just prior to the events we've read, Jesus and his disciples, they were sailing on the Sea of Galilee, when a tremendous storm overwhelmed their boat and the disciples we heard about a few weeks ago we was they were certain they were going to die they were seasoned fishermen but they're hopeless to solve their problem and in their minds it's a hopeless situation we're going to drown but of course it's no problem for the master of the sea 
Jesus himself. He calms the storm. He calms his men. Then in this chapter, which we're looking at, Jesus moves on to a new set of impossible situations. He encounters, encounters this man possessed by thousands of demons. And this demon-possessed man is in a, in a dangerous and desperate situation, unable to help himself. And the people around him, they can't help him either. And after this incident, Jesus is going to deal with a diseased woman and with a dead girl. All of these situations are, from our perspective, hopeless. Yet in each one, Jesus proves himself to be master of all those situations. Now, if that demon-possessed man was alive today, I'm sure we'd have him in some sort of mental institution. The diseased woman, well, she goes to the terminal care ward. The dead girl, we send her to the cemetery, of course. But this passage teaches us that whether he's faced with demons, disease or death, Jesus is able to handle whatever comes his way. So today we're going to take a trip to the cemetery. We're going to watch the Lord do what no one else can do. We're going to watch him set a captive free. Watch him change a life. Watch him change a soul. I want to see his divine sovereign power on display as I look at this passage. And to see how, handle, how Jesus handles this hopeless case. And it really is hopeless. No one can help him. This man who's demon-possessed, he lives in isolation, desperation, devastation, honestly. His companions are dead bodies in the cemetery and demons who indwell him. But when Jesus walks into this situation, he changes everything. So I want you to watch the Lord Jesus at work this morning. Recognize that when Jesus works in a hopeless case, there's always hope. He can move in our lives with the same power today. Yes, the same power for us is available today. So let's have a talk this morning about, first of all, I want to talk about a savage man. Open your Bible, if you would, <coughs> to Mark chapter 5. Verse 2. When Jesus got into the boat, got out of the boat, sorry, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So let's have a look at this guy's problem first of all. What's described here is a man who's in Satan's grasp. The devil is his master. He's in a state of utter hopelessness and absolute helplessness. We are told that he has an evil spirit. Well, later on we find out there's not just one, there's a legion of evil spirits. Now, a legion in the Roman army could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 men. That's incredible to think that one human being could be indwelt by all of these spirits. So this man has a host of thousands of evil spirits in him. And we are told that, the, that when these demons are forced to leave the man's body, they enter into a herd of swine who number about 2,000. So this poor bloke, he's under the total control of the devil. By the way, demon possession is a real thing. It's real, even today. As pastor, I've often, in my ministry, come across people who have been indwelt by demonic spirits and have to deal with it. They're quietly nodding their heads because today, they, or this week, they ministered in conjunction with myself to someone who was, in fact, indwelt by demons. Now, I don't say this because, you know, I want to be the village exorcist. No, thanks. Or to make the hair on the back of your head, sta hair on the back of your head stand up. This is real. This happens today just as it happened then. It's a real phenomenon. In fact, have a look in Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I want to remind you that this man's situation is no different from any lost soul in the world today. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what it says. 
just the first three verses. It says, For as for you, says the Apostle Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? His name is Satan. And the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Do you hear what the Bible's saying? Those who are disobedient to God have a spirit at work in them. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. His name is Satan. He's the evil one. All of us also living among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So you see, it says there, like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. Brothers and sisters, the Bible's telling us that all of us outside of Christ are indwelt by a spirit and live under his control. So this is real. That's not just for those days. That's for these days as well. Okay, this man's in a pitiful condition. So are all the lost people. They're in a state of defilement. It's a horrible state to be in. But have a look at this guy's his pain, if you would, in, in, in Mark chapter 5, verses uh, 3 to 4. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. There are two words that describe this man's condition, tombs and chains. The words reveal that he was, he was dwelling amongst the dead, the demons that were controlling him, that drove him away from the living people. He spent his life in the cemetery. And in that place, people were not usually buried in the ground. They were buried in tombs in the side of the hills. They were carved into the hillsides and bodies were placed there. And because of the demons that were within him, this man spent his time dwelling amongst bones and decaying corpses. What a place to live. We're told in verse 4, the people around him, they, they tried to catch him and did their best to restrain him. They bind him with irons and chains. Well, the irons, they would have been attached to his hands and his feet. The chains would have bound his arms and his torso. But these man-made devices, they couldn't hold him. Through the power of the demons within him, he's strong enough to break apart these things. So when we looked at this, this poor soul, this poor man, it's not hard to make a leap from his condition to the condition of the lost folks in our community round about us. They're trapped in the same kind of depravity. The sin that possesses the heart of a lost sinner drives him to spend his days and waste his years with the dead. Ephesians 2 verse 5, we were dead in transgressions. The people who are lost are living with the dead. They might not be living in the cemetery, but there are, people, there are people around about them who are dead in their hearts, dead in their transgressions, dead in their sins. The lost care about death only because they live amongst dead people, spiritually dead people. The lost hate the things that pertain to life. They hate the things that pertain to light. How can I say that? Well, they're not here, are they? And we are the people of the light, aren't we? And we are the people who have life in us, don't we? They're not interested. They're doing something else. They don't want to be in the place where the light is at, at church. Of course, human beings, we have many ways that we seek to conquer and cure the problems that plague humanity. We have jails and institutions for people like this guy, don't we? We have pills and potions and psychiatry for our mental conditions. The problem is that, that 
human beings' efforts to cure our, our own depravity is, is always us treating the symptoms. We very rarely can we treat the cause. We never treat the cause of our problems. If we're, only, if we're ever going to get any kind of help, really, we need to get it from the Lord. So the lost act as they do, why? Because they're sinners, they can't act any other way. Lost people choose darkness over light, why? Because they hate the light, that's what Jesus said. Lost people choose sinner over the savior, sin over the saviour, why? Because they're evil, they can't do anything else. But this man, he was powerless to do anything about his problems. It says in verse 5, Night and day, amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you imagine the terror this guy must have caused? He's living amongst the tombs. He's naked. He runs around like a wild man day and night. He's cutting himself with rocks. Well, people still cut themselves today, don't they? When they have problems of all sorts of kinds, you see them cutting themselves. That happens. Young people do it. Old people do it. They cut themselves. Why? Well, it seems like there's something happening here on the inside, doesn't it? So imagine his, his, his body is covered with blood and scars. He's filthy. He smells. He's terrifying. He screams and yells and he's torment. Now, I don't know exactly why he was cutting himself and doing that sort of thing, but I think it's the demons that's forcing himself, forcing him to do that. Or maybe he's just trying to get them out. And who knows why he shrieks and screams and cries in the tombs. Perhaps he's just desperate to be free. Or maybe he's compelled by the demons to do that. We don't know exactly why he does the things he does, but his actions reveal he's in a desperate situation and he needs help. So whether you are lost in sin or you're saved and out of God's will, there's actually only one cure for our situation, isn't it? It's not a pill, it's not a psychiatrist. You don't need a priest. You don't need a 12-step program. You need Jesus. He's the antidote for the poison of sin. He's the cure for our condition. He's the solution to our problems. That's the condition of this man. He's wretched. It's horrible. But the interesting thing is when you see this man described in the scriptures, his life could be a template for billions of other people. There are billions of people like this poor man. They need, they might not be as wild and as wicked as him, but they need help. They need someone far more powerful than they are to set them free. There's only one person who's like that. And his name is Jesus. So he's a savage man that we're talking about. But I want to talk now and change the topic a little bit and talk about a saving man. Let's have a look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Notice the compassion here of Jesus. Everyone in the whole region fears this demon-possessed man. They fled in terror when he comes near. They tremble in their houses at the sound of his shrieks and his screams. Children are warned, do not go over there. Stay away from that place. Everyone avoids this man except for Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid this man. In fact, he made a special trip across a stormy sea just to go and visit him. He wants to deliver this man from Satan's grip. So everyone else fears and avoids and despises him. Jesus has compassion on him. Jesus cares about the condition he's in, and Jesus is moved to do something about it. What else is fascinating is this man was not even a Jew. He's in the Gentile region. He's outside of the kingdom of God completely. And yet the Lord reaches out to him. Thank God for the boundless love and the endless compassion of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. 
praise the Lord, there are no hopeless cases with him. Because I tell you what, we see people sometimes and we think like, nah, lost cause, forget about it, eh? Don't we? We really do. We wonder if they can or ever will be saved. Well, I can't tell you for sure if they will be. But I can look around this room and I can see a bunch of lost causes that were saved. And you're speaking to one right now. Completely lost cause, but saved by Jesus. We are saved, why? Because Jesus had compassion on us. He came and visited with us, didn't he? How wonderful that is. See, there's no one beyond the compassionate touch of Jesus. Not Zacchaeus when he was hiding up in the tree, or Saul of Tarsus when he had this agenda of hate and destruction, or the Ethiopian eunuch with all his religious confusion, and not even you with the baggage that you carry. Jesus will reach out to you. When we see a drunk, he sees a deacon. Amazing. I'm not saying anything about our deacons, by the way. <laughs> by the way, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean that to be... That, uh, uh. You know what I mean, though, don't you, okay? I'm trying to make a story here. Come on. Anyway, look, forget all that. Lives are changed. Lives are changed when people come to Jesus. I'm sorry. I really am. <laughs> I didn't think that one out. Look, you give Jesus a crab apple, what's he going to give you? A golden delicious, okay? Something like that. Yeah, give him a thorn, he'll give you a rose. Give him a gum nut, he'll give you a mighty eucalypt. Okay, that's what we want to talk about. Uh. Things that come out of my mouth sometimes. <laughs> Let's move back to the Bible. Verses 6 to 13. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his, on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, reached, rushed down the hillside, down the steep bank, into the lake and were drowned. This is an incredible confrontation. This man who runs away from everyone, runs to Jesus and falls at his feet. So this, this, the demons who drove this man away from all human relationships, drive him to the feet of Jesus. Now, what's going on here? What's happening there? This is strange. Well, the demons, they don't fall at the feet of Jesus to worship him as Lord or their Lord. They're acknowledging this man is God. They're acknowledging deity. That's what's happening here. They are bowing in subjection to the Lord of Lords, to the King of Kings. They can't do anything else. And Jesus confronts the demons and he orders them to release their captive. And the demons, they acknowledge his deity and, they, and the authority of Jesus and they beg him not to torture them. That is, they're begging him, don't send us to hell yet. And the demons then request that they might be allowed to enter into a herd of pigs that are feeding nearby. And Jesus gives them permission and they leave the body of the man and they enter into the pigs. And when they do that, those pigs, they cannot tolerate the demons and they kill themselves by running into the lake. Now, this is a very strange passage, but it teaches us some very important truths. Number one, it teaches us that all spirits are subject to the Lord's authority. So when we as Christians minister, we minister in the authority of Jesus. 
when I'm confronted by someone who has a demonic problem, I don't come to them in the name of Martin because I'm hopeless. But in the name of Jesus, we command, and they have to obey. They've got no choice. So these demons, they recognize the position and authority of Jesus, and they know they must have his permission to do the things they do. So Jesus is master even of the demons. That gives us hope today, because often it looks like the devil's walking off in victory around the place, doesn't it? But if you think that, you need to read Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. That verse tells us that Satan will be cast into the lake of fire and all of his demons with him. So the war's over. Jesus has won the victory. This passage also teaches us that humans, humans are the most depraved creatures in all existence. Really they are. This one man can tolerate a, de a legion of demons within him. This is fascinating. If a Roman... Le Legion could be up to 6,000 men. Well, do the math. There's 2,000 pigs. There could be three demons per pig. The pigs, they can't tolerate the presence of evil, of the devil, and they commit suicide. These pigs, they couldn't stand a few demons, yet this man was able to live with thousands. That illustrates the capacity for human evil, doesn't it? How fascinating. But look at the command of Jesus. Every human effort has so far failed to deliver this poor soul from his bondage. Everything's been tried to help him regain his grip on his sanity, but it's all proven useless. But one word from Jesus is enough and is free. That's the glory of God and God's salvation at work. You see, human beings, we can try our religious works, but they fail to save us. We can try all sorts of psychological shenanigans, but they won't convert a sinner's heart. We can give people pills and potions and whatever, but they won't save us from hell. There's one solution to the problem of sin. His name is Jesus. There's only one hope for a fallen soul, and his name is Jesus. There's only one hope for people trapped in a life of sin, and his name is Jesus. One word from Jesus, and death is swallowed up by life. One word from Jesus, and darkness is driven away by the light. One word from Jesus and Satan loses his grip on a lost soul. One word from Jesus and sin loses its power to control the sinner. One word from Jesus and sin is forever forgiven. One word from Jesus and life is changed. One word from Jesus and a child of Adam becomes a child of God. One word from Jesus and a sinner is saved. I think Jesus is a good man to know, don't you? Yes. So we've seen a savage man. We've seen a saving man. Let's look at the miracle of salvation now. Look at verses 14 to 16. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. This is interesting. This, this, this man is now changed. When the pigs ran down the mountainside and killed themselves, the servants who've been tending to the herd of pigs, they run off to town and tell the boss, <laughs> boss, no more pigs. <laughs> They're all floating around in the lake, sorry. And the townsfolk, they come to see for themselves. And when they arrive, they hear all the details and they can see the evidence of a changed life right before their eyes. Jesus changed him. He's no longer running about. 
crying and cutting himself. He's calm. He's seated beside Jesus. What a change. That's what the Lord does. You cannot meet Jesus and remain the same. He changes everyone who comes to him. Jesus clothes him. So this man's no longer naked. He's now clothed. That's further proof of his change in his life. We, always, we need to notice that Jesus always changes the heart of a person. He always changes us from the inside out. That's what he did for me. That's what he's done for you. And Jesus calms him. We are told that he's in his right mind. Once there had been turmoil and agitation, now there's perfect peace. He's been changed spiritually, physically, mentally. What a picture of the total change that salvation brings to the heart of a converted sinner. Jesus literally gives everyone a brand new life. That's what it says in the scriptures. We have a new life within us. Jesus changed him from the inside out and Jesus started with the man's real problem. A bad heart is the real problem of every lost sinner. But it's interesting that sin the sinner commits isn't the root of the problem. The sin is the outworking, the fruit of our problems. The sin the sinner commits is merely the outward manifestation of a wicked heart. But look what happens to this man. This is fascinating what goes on. Verses 17 to 18. The people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go with them, but he said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This man, this formerly demon-possessed man, is now committed the people of the region, they're, they're, they're afraid of Jesus and they're angry with him because, well, he's cast the demon into, into the pigs. So the price of bacon in that town was gone sky high, right? You won't be able to find a pork chop for your life. Forget about it. So they say, Jesus, look, leave the place. Mate, get out of here. You're bad for business. We don't want you around. See, for all these people, all this spiritual power is just too much. They might have been able to handle a little preaching, but when Jesus starts changing lives and costing them money, they want no part of this. They drive them away. It's still the same. With multitudes of people today, give them a little bit of a Sunday service. Yeah, they're satisfied. But don't ask them to do any more. No, no, no. Don't ask them to give or to witness or to pray or to do anything more than they're just doing. When the Lord wants something more, uh, they rebel and push them away. Most folks, you know, religious types, they want enough Jesus to make them feel good and keep them out of hell. That'll do, thanks very much. But Jesus isn't some sort of good luck charm. He's not a pendant you wear around your neck. That's not Jesus. He's a life-changing, eternity-altering saviour. And he wants more than a few hours a week. He wants everything you have and everything that you are laid on the altar of total surrender to him. So we better be careful how we treat the Lord because he might just give us what we want. When we tell the Lord by our actions that we are satisfied and we don't want any more, don't be surprised if he takes away what you already have. Be careful, brothers and sisters. That's a message for the church, not for the lost. That's for us. If we honour him, he will bless us. If we treat him like we can make do without him, he'll let us. 
But look at the contrast. The townspeople in this story, they want Jesus to leave. But the man who was saved, he just wants to be with Jesus. That's what salvation will do for you. It'll change you completely. When you get saved, your heart is right with the Lord. You will love him. You'll love his people. You'll love his word. And wherever Jesus is, that's where you want to be too. So this man, he was really committed to Jesus. But more than that, he was also commissioned for Jesus. Jesus refused his request to be allowed to go with him. Instead, he sends him back home. He says, you go and tell someone else. You go tell your family what I've done for you. And that's precisely what he did. He went back to the, the, the Decapolis, which means the ten cities. He went back to that region and he preached that gospel of grace of what had happened to him to anyone who would listen. Picture in your mind's eye for a moment what's going on here. How the scene must have played out. Now the people see him coming. You imagine them cringing in fear, children hiding behind their mothers, doors being slammed shut, people running away from the madman. He's back. But wait, something's different. Hang on. That's him, isn't it? Yeah, it's still him. He's still got scars on his body. But look at his eyes. There's something different going on there. And he isn't screaming. What's he saying? He's preaching about some man named Jesus who saved him. He isn't running around like a wild man. He's calm. He's sane. He's talking about how Jesus changed his life. He isn't naked. He's clothed and he's peaceful and he's changed. And people listen to the story and they're touched. I have no doubt that some of them would have been saved. What a difference Jesus makes. Interestingly, we're commanded to do the same, aren't we? To go and share with someone else the good news. We're commanded to share the gospel with those who don't know the Lord. We are to go to the lost in the world and tell them the same thing that Jesus commanded him. How much the Lord has done for him and how the Lord has had mercy. This is interesting because... I can imagine there would have been no strong defense against this man's arguments. Because after all, he's radically transformed by the power of God. Brothers and sisters, people might argue with us about our doctrine. About that, you're a Baptist. Well, what are they, you know? And we might argue backwards and forwards. But no one can argue with you about your testimony. This is what God has done for me. My life has been changed by the living God. And no one can argue about that. That's your story. And that's relevant to everyone else, no matter what kind of philosophy they might give back to you. You can say, well, hang on, my life's been changed. And no one can argue with that. There's nothing more powerful than the testimony of a changed life. That's your story that you have to share with the whole community to anyone who's going to listen to you. No one can argue with it. Let's bring this to a conclusion. Jesus, Jesus took care of uh, this hopeless situation and he can do the same for you. He's the master of the hopeless. With him there are no hard cases. There's only a powerful solution. So what's your true spiritual condition this morning? Can you remember the day when the Lord of glory came to you and radically changed your life? If so, thank him. If he hasn't, well, then you need to be saved. If he's calling you, I invite you to come to him today. Do it today don't, because you're not going to regret it. Jesus can set us free. Do you need his touch? Do you need his compassion? Do you need his life-changing power? All of this is but a prayer away.
We come to Jesus, we come home, and we obey his voice. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's fascinating how we can look into scripture and we see something we think like, oh, what's that got to do with me? And yet we discover it's got everything to do with me. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you've transformed this man who was possessed by a legion of demons. And Lord, you still changed me. You're still working on me. You've changed my life. I'm committed to you. And I know, Lord, that you've commissioned me and everyone else in this room. So, Lord, I pray pray there will be revival in this place. May it start where I'm standing and where we're seated. May we be so driven by the good news and the testimony of our changed lives that we just have to share it with someone else. And I pray, Father, that during this coming week, you'll give us opportunity to share our story with someone. Give each one of us, Lord, an opportunity to come into contact with someone new or someone old who's prepared to listen and tell them our story. And may that have an impact for you, we pray in Jesus' name.